0: Welcome to the Tax Girl podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly kill or for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. If you ask the heads of most companies to name a tax incentive that has been instrumental in moving the country forward, I'm willing to bet that you'd hear the Research and Development Tax Credit come up more than once. Tax professionals know it as Section 41, or the Credit for Increasing Research Activities, but most folks know it by its shortened name, the R&D Tax Credit. It was created during the Reagan era to encourage research and development in the United States, but it wasn't made permanent until 2015 as part of the PATH Act. It's a credit, which means that it's a dollar-for-dollar reduction in the tax liability. And while it's non-refundable, any unused credit can be carried back one year and carried forward 20 years under Section 39. In 2019, more than an estimated $18 billion, with a B, in R&D credits were reported, and not just large tech companies. The R&D tax credit can benefit companies of almost every size and in almost every industry. To talk about it more, I've asked Ari Palmer Salafia to the show. Ari is the president of TaxTaker, where she specializes in simplifying complex tax incentives so that entrepreneurs can focus on what they love best, running their companies. With extensive experience helping businesses leverage government incentives, she enjoys uncovering benefits that fuel growth and competitive advantage nationwide. Her favorite part about working in the niche world of R&D tax credits is working closely with innovative founders that are constantly exposing new technologies and inspiring the tax taker team each day. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much, Kelly. I'm so happy to be here. So let's talk about R&D credits generally because um, some folks, are the tax pros who are listening, you know, they may be familiar with it, but some of my other listeners who don't encounter it, you know, on a regular basis may not exactly know what it is. And I kind of mentioned where it was and, and the, the technical part of it, but what in lay people's terms is an R&D tax credit? Absolutely.
1: So the most broad definition of the R&D tax credit is it's available to any company that's developing, designing, or improving upon products and technologies. That can also include formulas, inventions, software, et cetera. And the code's quite broad, to your point earlier, that it can apply to numerous industries. So so the IRS really is encouraging kind of anyone who's innovative to take a look.
0: And when we talk about innovative, I think that's where people don't necessarily understand how broad the credit is, because I think when we say R&D, you automatically in your head kind of go to this picture of, you know, lab coats and scientists in a laboratory working on a vaccine. You know, that to a lot of people is R&D, but it's really more broad. And you kind of mentioned like it could be software, but can you give maybe some other examples that are maybe non-traditional that maybe folks wouldn't know about? 100%. And you're so right. Most folks just
1: really get hung up on the word research when most of the activities that qualify are more around the development and the doing of everyday activities. So while the white lab coats, the scientists, you know, the pharmaceuticals, that is a highly qualifying industry, we actually work with industries that you might not traditionally expect, like AI, blockchain, cryptocurrency, CPG, ag tech. B two B SaaS, huge claimant of the credit as of lately, Mm -hmm. and even things like VR or robotics. So really, kind of anyone who's creating anything that's changing the
0: world as we as we know it. And there's no size restriction, right? So it could be like a two person company or a two hundred person company. It doesn't. I think we think it has to be big, but you can still be a small company and qualify. Exactly. It's completely
1: unique to the internal expenses of your business. So there's no necessary threshold that means that you have to have dozens of qualified employees to be able to benefit. You really can start with your first hire. Now the credit is calculated based upon a few expenses. So there is a bit of a threshold of what's actually going to materially yield a credit, right? Right. But yeah, we work with companies with as little as one full-time developer or engineer all the way up to, you know, a hundred person team
0: typically. Yeah. And so when you mentioned the expenses, can you give us an example of what expenses might be included when you are figuring the credit? Definitely. So there are four buckets
1: of expenses uh, that we're looking at um, every single project, three of which are more on the software kind of technology side. And a fourth bucket is more so for the folks that have tangible assets, true kind of products in the marketplace, tangible. So uh, the first bucket of expenses, which is really the primary driver of the credit, it holds the most weight in the calculation, are W-2 wages of the folks that are directly involved uh, with, with the development. And then one unique thing that oftentimes people miss is that we are actually also allowed to take a tier up and a tier down approach? Meaning, we can look at the folks that directly supervise those individuals that are, let's say, in the code all day long, and then those folks that support the direct engineers. So, oftentimes, folks miss out on because they might think that they're non-technical. They're not actually, for instance, with you know a SaaS company, they're they're not they're not a software engineer. They think that they they may not qualify, but we're always qualifying C level folks that are instrumental into strategizing the product roadmap. They're helping test certain methods, evaluating alternatives with the developers as well as the supporting staff. The next bucket of expenses is going to be outside contractors that contribute to the company's special projects. These do have to be US based because this is an incentive that rewards uh. us development mm-hmm. and so we know that talent is global most of our our clients leverage some kind of form of a distributed team you know just because it keeps the budget in line <laughs> sure sure <laughs> but unfortunately we just can't include that portion um into the credit but they wouldn't be disqualified if they have those folks we just can't put that into the calc And then the next bucket is going to be supply. So those are going to be materials that are consumed in the prototyping phases prior to production or commercialization. And then the last bucket, which another thing that gets missed all the time, particularly for software technology companies, are cloud costs as they relate to their testing and their staging environments. So think
0: AWS, Google Cloud, Heroku, and the like. Gotcha. all of these things you figure, and then it's a, it's a percentage of this. And I think that's where it gets complicated, right? Like doing the actual calculations. Yes. So
1: the IRS guidelines for the forms, they, they seem pretty straightforward, but that's where we, we also think see things just kind of go amiss. So there are actually a few different calculation methods. In the last 10 years, an alternative simplified credit was was formed so that you didn't have to take so many back tax years for the more mature businesses to build out the credit. So that's a really popular option. Um, and then there's a regular method um, that we we see startups highly benefiting from. But generally speaking, no matter kind of what calculation that you're using, and there, there's also fixed base, but that's even that's way worse
0: <laughs> to go through. <laughs> right,
1: right. only do, don't want people's eyes to glaze over when, when listening to this for, from the fixed base perspective. But just generally speaking at a higher level, no matter kind of what credit calculation you're looking at, you should expect industry by industry somewhere between a 6 and a 10% return on your qualified expenses every year. So a technology or a pharmaceutical company at the federal level might yield closer to a 10% versus maybe a manufacturer's around a five or six percent. And it can change year by year. and, And certainly some of those folks could yield up to the very max, but that's just typically kind of what we see.
0: So why don't more companies take advantage of these credits? Is it because it's complicated? Is it because they don't know? Like why do you think more companies aren't taking advantage of the credit? I think generally speaking,
1: most companies, you know, they they're not super excited about the accounting pillar of their business, right? Let alone tax. So it's not something that I think folks are actively searching for. I mean, the last year has definitely changed things a bit. We didn't expect for government funding messaging to resonate and be such a catalyst for, you know, building awareness around the credit, but we're so happy we're here. Mm -hmm. But things around tax and accounting, especially with business owners, I think they make a lot of assumptions that if they have an accountant and bookkeeper, then they must be covered. But the truth of the matter is we can't expect right our tax professionals to be an expert in everything. Sure. And, and, and certainly not the R&D tax credit unless they have had exposure with the incentive. So I think it's one of these things that they might hear about it and it kind of gets hot potatoed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then particularly for startups, they're just historically overlooked and underserved. Sometimes they don't even have a dedicated accountant or bookkeeper, you know, kind of looking out for them. They're graduating, as we say, from their fraternity brother's uncle who just kind of helping <laughs> them part-time right, right. <laughs> just because they need to file a return. <laughs> so it's just one of these things, right, where we just don't expect for a founder to be looking for for tax breaks all the time, or there's just some assumptions made that someone must be handling.
0: Sure. So if folks are listening and they're thinking, am I, would I qualify? Would my business qualify? What are some, either some criteria, some, some things to look out for? It's something, if if you're not currently claiming the credit, but you're listening and you're thinking, maybe I could, what were some things or questions that you would say that they should ask to find out if they qualify?
1: Definitely. So some really simple questions are, do I make something or, and does my product change over time? If the answer is yes, which again, this is why the credit can be super broad. What do my expenses look like? Do I have technical personnel involved? And then from there, um, it's worth having a conversation with your CPA or a practitioner um, just to see what's on the table. We find more times than not that someone is far happier to just learn about the program and make sure that they've turned over that stone, even Mm -hmm. if they don't qualify just yet versus, oh my gosh, why didn't anyone tell me about this? And I've left how much on the table over (laughs) the last few years, right? or even, you know, serial founders that were like, I can't believe we didn't do that at my last company or the one prior to that. So just having a conversation and just making sure that you're taking a look is the best first step.
0: And is this something that is filed contemporaneously with your tax return? Yes. I'm so glad you asked that question because uh,
1: we even see repeat customers sometimes forgetting this piece. They kind of think it's because it's kind of seems like a, a program, like maybe PPP or the ERC that they can kind of file anytime during the year. But mm-hmm. it's very important that it's included within your company's tax return. It's just filed as a general business credit.
0: And so when folks are kind of looking at, you know, how do I do this? Whether it's somebody who is a taxpayer, a business, or if they're a tax practitioner, we've talked about it being really complicated. And I know that your company has some uh, some ways to make this a little less painful. So can you talk about what TaxTaker does and how it can assist in the R&D credit process?
1: Yes, so I've been in this niche world of R&D tax credits for almost a decade now. And time and time again, prior to the PATH Act passing, which was the biggest celebration among us R&D tax credit nerds ever, (laughs) um, (laughs) it was really painful to to turn young companies away because they just weren't paying federal income tax, right? They were in you know, either, either pre-revenue or having early revenue, or they were operating in losses. And even though they qualified um, and they can yield a credit, they just didn't have meaningful use for it. Um, when the PATH Act passed and uh, it enhanced the credit, particularly for startups, now startups can benefit from the r and tax credit as a payroll tax reduction. So they essentially can take the credit and just reduce any FICA taxes they owe in the current year. When that happened, finally, that was kind of the legislation that made it more available for more companies to qualify. And I reached this point where it was like, there has to be a way to be able to prepare these studies for these younger companies, just easier and more cost efficiently, because Mm -hmm. traditionally speaking, when you have specialized tax attorneys and engineers and CPAs performing these studies, those billable hourly rates stack up fast. So, you know, a $20,000 credit for a $20,000 consulting fee, it just, it doesn't work. So that paired with the prior kind of pain points of not being able to help, basically my team was like, we can put some technology around this because there are things that we do over and over again, even though every project is custom and unique to the company, there are things that we are doing over and over again that that can be solved and, and simplified with technology. So we put software to the actual preparation of these studies. And Tax Taker got going and um, it's enabled us to be able to come downstream to help young businesses um, as early as, you know, a couple of employees and get their credits back in as little as an hour or two of their
0: time, which is is pretty amazing. Right, right. Well, and it's interesting to me when you mentioned about the Path Act becoming permanent, because I know obviously... You know, I alluded to that at the beginning of the program as well, but not only did it expand it, but I think one of the things that it did that made it more appealing for existing businesses is when you have this constant band-aid approach, when you talked earlier about cost, if you're not sure that it's going to stick around, if the credit isn't necessarily going to be there next year, you know, do you want to put the resources to pursuing it? And so I think that making it permanent also made it more appealing, not just the expansion. I think those things kind of working together, at least on the, you know, on the tax professional side, because one of the things that, you know, you, with these, it it, it drives tax professionals crazy, but, you know, you spend a lot of time trying to sell. And if you could see me, I'm using air quotes, you know, sell a potential client or a taxpayer on why something might be good for them, but it also might not be there tomorrow (laughs) Uh, it's it's very it's, it's a it's a hard sell, right? Hundred
1: percent. I mean, that was something that we run up ran up to a lot prior uh, to twenty sixteen, especially with with CPAs because they want to be proactive, you know, champions for their clients. But waiting around every year to see if it's going to be extended was a challenge, and it became less of a priority. Which then, you know, in turn. Unfortunately meant more businesses missed out on it just because they didn't have the proper planning around the the incentive. So from a strategy and tax planning perspective, it's making accountants and business owners lives a lot easier. We tried to tell all these, these companies early on, this is one of the one true bipartisan supported incentives. It's going to continue to be around. But you know, there's only so many trust us claims
0: you can make. Right, right. How is so on the on the obviously it's favorable for taxpayers. And you mentioned it had bipartisan support. What does the IRS think about it? Have you noticed is there an uptick in audits? Is this something they look at with skepticism? Are they happy um, that it's permanent? I mean, obviously, you know, you I assume you're not on a on a hotline with IRS, but just in terms of what you're hearing from taxpayers and tax professionals, are you seeing any difference in audit rates, or does the IRS seem to be embracing it as well now that it's permanent? Yeah,
1: so I think there are a couple things there. I think the IRS is excited about it because there is a true correlation with innovation and building up the economy with these with these SMBs and startups um, by by leveraging this incentive. The IRS actually came out and and said that, uh, they expect to distribute almost 150 billion over the next six years alone. Wow, it's massive. Uh, you 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 referenced that 18 billion were claimed in 2019, which is amazing. But prior to that, it was kind of teetering around the 12 to 13 billion dollar range. So we're seeing a massive uptick there. The R&D credit, about a decade ago, used to be kind of a tier one audit issue, so you could pretty much expect to be flagged. That's no longer the case. However, we don't have great data points as of the last couple of years on the likelihood of audit off as for this payroll tax election. Um, we're just not seeing really active volume of clients getting reviewed. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that it won't happen. I think the IRS probably just has to play a little bit of catch up there. <laughs> but it's, 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 a, it's one thing that we're very sensitive about in when we are working with clients. So tax taker being from kind of the, the kind of traditional space originally, we knew the heavy importance of documentation when building out these calculations and, and claims. And the reason why we call it an r tax credit study is with, with some practice, anyone can figure out how to put together a calculation, but the report matters. Okay. Really, the number one reason, um, and I I would say to any taxpayer, like, do not be worried about an audit. um, You know, if your study's done the right way, Um, typically our clients have gotten their credits looked at just as part of a general audit. It wasn't because they claimed the R and D tax credit, right? But the number one reason that credits get adjusted or, worst case, disallowed, is lack of documentation. And nexus, so uh, the inability to tie the personnel to the projects that they worked on as it was occurring. So while time tracking is great, um, the iris actually allows for reasonable percentages of time, but it's just very good measure to make sure that you keeping a log of kind of everything that you're working on, from technical specifications to emails to even Slack channels, just to be able to prove you know these people really were doing this at this time.
0: Gotcha. And on the um, on the federal side, this credit, obviously, as we mentioned earlier, has been around a while and, and it's been adjusted. There have been uh, modifications. Again, the PATH Act was the most significant. Are there similar programs at the state level? And if there are, do you know, and you might you might not because I'm not sure how much you deal in the state space, but do you know if they follow the feds on this? Yeah, so there's actually about 38 states that offer supplemental R&D credits.
1: Uh, states like California and Texas, they closely follow the, the federal guidelines. But then other states, they have a little bit of a different method. Some of them are application states, um, so not just taken as is on a state income tax return. Um, others have very specific criteria. Uh, so it's always good to to check. We're always evaluating additional state credits, um, even if our clients don't have immediate use for them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as why not bank them? But again, just good, uh, good to look into to, to make sure that you're not missing the boat there.
0: Right. And, and one of the things I wanted to kind of circle back to, because I realized that I wanted to ask you a question and didn't, when you were talking about it earlier, is I mentioned at the open of the program that this is a non-refundable credit, which means that if you have no tax liability, then you can't get anything back for it. So it's it's not like you get a you know a refund if you didn't pay anything in or you didn't have a liability. But you mentioned earlier on the startup side and kind of circling back to the the Path Act, the payroll piece. Can you just kind of explain that a little bit more? Because Um, I know this is something that I've been asked about and did not know that uh, about the payroll tax piece.
1: Definitely. And it's kind of complicated at kind of at first glance because it looks like a refund, but it's in a go forward capacity. So if we were looking at companies 2020 expenses, and let's say we generated, let's say they have five software engineers for a total of $500,000 in payroll, and they yielded a $50,000 R&D tax credit for 2020. If they had the same personnel, no change in 2021, that would mean that they would be paying around $31,000 in FICA taxes. So essentially, when this company files their return and includes their 2020 R&D credits here in 2021... They could effectively eliminate that entire $31,000 tax liability this year ahead. So the credit is filed, and then depending on the payroll provider, it's taken on a quarterly basis. So it looks like a refund back Mm -hmm. each quarter, but it's based upon last year's number. So that's where it starts to kind of get confusing because companies think, oh, I just get a check, which amazing, just like the credit carry forward, right? If Instead of just banking it, if they could just get that money, there's other developed countries that are doing that, like our neighbors to the north and across the pond. So I hope we can get there into some capacity sooner than later. But, um, but yeah, it can still be really, really powerful for these young companies to start getting that ease of cash flow um, in the current year based upon last year's
0: uh, results. And the reason that's particularly appealing, of course, is because when you're new, you're not yet making a profit. So you're not necessarily filing return that's showing a profit. So with what do you have to work with on the credit side? And I think that's where sometimes people think they might not qualify because if they're not showing a profit, they're thinking they don't have a liability. It's a non-refundable credit. Therefore, I must not qualify. But because of this payroll tax piece, it actually can still be beneficial.
1: Yes, I, I can't think of very many other things that could give you an immediate six percent, you know, reduction in in operating expenses. So
0: it can be super powerful. That's very. And again, I think that this credit—it's—it's it's funny because I think people generally know it exists, but I do again think that people think you either have to be like Google size, right, or that you have to be in the the scientific world, but. I actually, you mentioned earlier, like Bitcoin and some other kinds of uh, cryptos, some other kinds of areas where um, companies are experimenting with this, but there's also, and you mentioned software as, software as well, but it can even be service-based firms, right? Like like in a, um, I know that uh, architecture firms, for example, can take advantage.
1: Yes, architects are, are great candidates and super unsuspecting. But their involvement with schematic design and design development, and even a portion of the construction documents can qualify. So, yeah,
0: architecture and engineering, those are, those are large payments now of the incentive. So, if, if folks are listening and they're thinking, you know, again, this is really interesting, I think I might qualify. And you, you alluded some, to some questions earlier, and, and you mentioned that they should have, obviously, have a conversation with the tax professional. What kinds of, are there other kinds of resources out there that you could direct either taxpayers or tax professionals to? And where can people find out more information? Cause this, you know, beyond CPEs and CLEs, I think that there's not, this is not something that you see, you know, front and center on IRS webpage. Like you would if you had a question about a stimulus check. This is not the kind of thing where. You know, you're going to see articles in certain kinds of publications about this on a regular basis because it does still feel very niche. Like where would you send people to if they wanted to find out more information?
1: Yes. well, just to prove that it is real, anyone can Google search IRC 41. <laughs> if they want to read through all that, all power to them. Sure. But you know, being the founder of Taxtaker, uh, naturally I'm going to say, come over to our site, taxtaker.com. Uh, because we always provide free estimates and assessments of eligibility. We never engage with companies unless, one, they qualify, and two, we've evaluated that there's material benefit on the table um, for them to take advantage of. So, um, no one should be charging a company upfront. To explore what their opportunity looks like. So, would encourage you to kind of ping your accountant um, if you want to loop them in. We're always looping accountants in if if we didn't meet uh, the client through the accountant. But yeah, we've got a team of of folks that just truly care about making sure that that companies are aware of their qualifications and then have a strategy of when does it actually make sense? Oftentimes, we might meet a young company where they have the information and next year they're going to be able to qualify. Um, and again, those are always great conversations to have. We want people, we want to encourage people to, to take a look versus put it on the back burner and miss out on, on dollars available because every dollar counts, especially for these young businesses.
0: Oh, absolutely. Especially for startups. So I'll make sure to put those links, um, including to section 41 and even section 39. If people are interested, um, I'll put them in the in the show notes. Um, thank you so much for this. I think this has been a great conversation. Um, I think it kind of reminds tax professionals, but also shares with taxpayers that, um, you know, there there is this credit out there. It's not restricted to mega companies. It's not just for scientists, it's for companies of all sizes and for all kinds of industries. And I know you referenced um, your company's website before, but if you, uh, if folks wanted to find you and you wanted to be found, where would you send them either on the web or on social media?
1: Yeah. So uh, taxfaker.com, you can actually sign up to create a free account and book a discovery call. You can also learn more about the information that we discussed today and then we're trying to get more active on Twitter. We've got a lot of catching up to do to catch up with you, Kelly. Uh, but <laughs> our handle is at go tax taker. Um, and, and yeah, we just love to meet anyone that's interested about talking about this, um, and, and, and seeing what money's on the table and really appreciate being here, Kelly. We're trying to build the megaphone and awareness and, and tax isn't a scary word when there's, when there's money back for companies, right? Wait,
0: I know that's the that's the best. I mean, this is what's always so interesting about tax generally is that people assume that it's you know it's always a bad thing, it's always a liability. But there are these opportunities and and credits, tax credits in particular. Again, they're dollar for dollar reductions in the tax that you owe. There are these opportunities taxpayers and tax professionals might not be aware of that allow them to uh, you know to make tax less scary and make that check less painful.
1: Yes, exactly. It's, it's pretty powerful and amazing. I mean, we have got clients that are able to extend their runway by 6, 12, 18 months, quite literally during the pandemic had multiple replies saying you helped keep the lights on for an extra couple of months. So it's just definitely
0: something to pay attention to. And those are always the best stories, right? Like the good stories. Good stories, definitely. Again, thank you so much for being here. This was terrific.
1: Thanks so much, Kelly.
0: I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.